2: All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.
1: True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast.
3: On the peak of Montpellier Hill, nestled amongst the Dublin mountains, sits a ruined stone building. Which for generations has served as a place of ghostly tales and frightening nighttime retreats. Montpellier Hill is more commonly known as the Hellfire Club and is a place where history and urban myth have intertwined to secure the site
4: as a place in Dublin's more dark and mysterious history. The Hellfire Club remains to this day burnt out and abandoned on the hill. The view is glorious on a sunny day, but at night time, people have reported unusual smells and a strange atmosphere. Maybe the traces of satanic rituals have been discovered, or so they say. Hi, my name is
3: Anne. And I'm Renata. And we welcome you to this episode of True Hauntings, where we go and discover
1: supernatural forces are at play evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds it follows us like a shadow forever this is where nightmares become reality this is true hauntings
4: oh i do love this place and i've been twice (laughs) ha. And Renata, I'm sure, will tell you about the story of when she got the visit the first time a little later on. (laughs) I may have been a little bit naughty, but that's okay. So what have we been up to? We've been busy as usual. (laughs) And And a little bit under siege, really.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all good. Hey, guys, when you listen to this... It's probably going to be around the end of the month, which means that the time is nigh to put in your vote for the Paranormal Awards. Well, they
4: close on the 21st of Feb, so I'm pretty sure they're shut by then. Oh. But just in case. Just in
3: case. Just, just in case. case <gasps> you can put your your vote in. The gorgeous people over in America have just... Done an inaugural, an, an inaugural, whatever that Inaugural, word. Inaugural. In-a-ugural. <laughs> inaugural. Put your teeth in. Uh, paranormal awards, and yeah, invited everyone from around the world to chip in and nominate. And so we were lucky enough to be nominated. So soon, uh- you may hear
4: the results of that. Mm, I'm just happy to be nominated, as they say. Truly, I am. But yeah, there's one particular award that would be such an honour to win and would cause so much shit. But there you go. Let's leave that there now. <laughs> All right. Now, we've been in doing some of investigations and we're at a little town called Wallamba mm. And we noticed something that popped up as a question. And we thought we might just have a quick discussion of it here. There were some people who said to us, oh, you're investigating in a cemetery. Isn't that disrespectful? Now, The thing is, Renata actually has a contract with the community of Wallumbi who give her their blessing to be in the cemetery. And you do it in a really interesting way. So it's not just the cemetery that we investigate. Where else do we investigate, Renata? Oh, we investigate the museum and oh. also well, St. Michael's Mark- Courth-
3: Church. Yeah, the yeah, courthouse. A courthouse, which is now a museum. Yep. And the church, St. Michael's Church there. So the idea is that this beautiful little village sitting in the Hunter Valley has more tourism coming to it. So our tours... Bring people in from around the area, and we do get them to really explore the village and explore some of the history of the village as we take them through the tour. So it's really interesting. And because of where the cemetery sits, which is really at the very beginning of the village, if you're coming from the Cessnock area, it's hard to miss. (laughs) It's not as though it's tucked away in a corner. It is there. It is part of the village major. Yep. So we do take a moment to pay our respects at the end of each tour and go in and lay some flowers at gravesites and just sort of thank the spirits for allowing us to have been able to communicate with them on this particular night. But as you said, this this was all organised uh, when the tour was being put together in the first place and we sort of had the blessing from the community to do so. This raises some questions with regard to tour groups or investigators investigators going to cemeteries. And there are as many people out there with different ideas as to why you should and why you shouldn't as there are cemeteries in the world. Mm -hmm. And we do know that there are cemeteries not only in Australia, but overseas that welcome guided tours. This is how they support the whole cemetery. We did a whole episode on one, the Greyfriars. Yeah. Yeah. They, They support their whole cemetery and looking after the whole site by people coming on guided tours. So it is really not our position to be able to say you shouldn't do them. More than anything, it's what you do do while you are on the site that, that should be thought about very wisely. And like everything else, it is about respect and respecting the memories of those that are there. And we've heard some really interesting discussions over the last week or two. and there are obviously people who are out there who have different religious and spiritual beliefs and who believe quite wholeheartedly that that is not the place to be after dark, and we also respect that. But there are also a whole part of the community that wants to go, wants to be, and believes that that is actually part of their belief system Mm. to be able to be on sites like that after dark.
4: The most important thing is, is that you've gained permission to be on the site because there are some cemeteries in Australia, which you are not allowed into after dusk or before dawn. And the other little rule that we sort of abide by is if you take photos within the cemetery, that you blur out the names of the people on the headstones, just as a respect to any family members who may still be alive and don't really want their loved ones gravestones plastered all over Facebook. Mm.
3: I I think it's really easy to find out very quickly whether the site that you are going on is somewhere where you should or shouldn't be. People will tell you very, very quickly (laughs) whether you should be there or shouldn't be there. All we are asking from our point of view is that you are respectful. And we have all been to cemeteries that have been tragically desecrated by people who have gone in and vandalized knocked, them yeah knocked over headstones vandalized them sprayed them with paint and that is one of the most atrocious
4: acts that i think is is possible Oh, I could think of some others, but yeah. No, we won't go there. Anyway. Mm. So We're just thoughts to think about. Yeah. And look, we've been doing lots of podcast interviews with people lately. We've been on several American shows and we've been on oh, Shatan. We've been on the Liminal Liminal Abyss. Yes, with and, Shatan, beautiful Shatan. And we'll be on Uncensored Radio coming up soon with yep. the those guys that you terrified last time by telling there was a ghost walking up behind them. But we would love you guys to join our community, our little family, so you can Find us on Ann and Renata hyphen frightfully good on Facebook and also our website, which is annandrenata.com. So if you want us to be on your podcast, shoot us an email through the website and we'll come and chat because we could talk for hours. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's. A group of friends, let's call them Sean, Mary, and Matt thought they'd challenge themselves to a spooky night on top of Montpelier Hill at the notorious haunted Hellfire Club in Ireland. They were all aged around 17 and were quite sensible young adults. Mary's mother dropped them at the car park on the Killer Quay Road around lunchtime and they hiked up the hill. Once at the top of the hill, they set up their camp beside the ruins of the old Hellfire Hunting Lodge, pitching their tents and setting a fire. They set about to collect firewood and, using their hunting knife, cut some of those big pieces of wood up into more manageable-sized pieces. They became aware of another person on the hill who had set up their tent just 50 metres away. The stranger headed over to the group and introduced himself as Michael, aged 28. He seemed to be a friendly chap and, with a cool mohawk, they invited him to join them around the campfire and chatted for hours. The fire was beginning to burn low, and it was decided more firewood was needed. Sean went off to find some Michael offered to help him, while the other two teenagers went off in a different direction. Always best to stay in pairs at such a reputably haunted location. As Sean was bending over, gathering up firewood, he was suddenly grabbed from behind. A hand was clamped over his mouth. He found he was unable to scream for help. The attacker pulled Sean's head back, exposing his throat, and began to slash at it. Sean, frantic, fought for his life. He felt the blade slice across the throat once, twice, three times. Surely this meant he was dead. He would die up on this godforsaken hill. He managed to push his attacker away and fell to the ground and looked up into the deranged eyes of Michael. Michael then lunged at him, stabbing him in the chest. The knife broke, leaving the blade embedded in his chest. As the knife was no longer being useful, Michael picked up a log and hit the teenager on the top of his head with it. By now, Sean's other two friends noticed some sort of commotion was happening and ran to their friend. Mary was first on the scene. Michael punched her in the face, knocking her to the ground and pulled her out of the way by her hair. Matt then attempted to get the madman off his friends and was also punched. All the time, Michael is screaming at them. Why did you bring a knife with you? Were you going to attack me? You were, weren't you? I know your type. I heard you talking. The enraged man then started stamping on Sean's head and pulling his hair. Mary and Matt were now back on their feet trying to help Sean. Michael continually knocked them down, punching them, hitting them, trying to kick them in the head when they were down. Matt, realising that he could not fight him off, ran to get help. He came across some people near the ruins, but Michael followed hot on his heels, screaming, He tried to kill me! They are attacking me! The police were called and Michael bolted into the forest. He was found not too far away from Montpelier Hill. He gave the police a false name and claimed he had been attacked by weirdos. Michael claimed he got a a strange vibe off the tall fella, had noticed the knife on the ground and had popped it in his pocket. He said he felt the three were having a coded conversation, which is fairly strange, and that they didn't seem to be the nice teens he thought they were originally. He also believed the conversation had turned a bit dark and that he got a bad vibe of the person that he thought was the leader. The police believed that maybe Michael had suffered a psychotic breakdown. He was hallucinating and being paranoid. Or maybe the demons and restless spirits of the Hellfire Club were whispering in his ear and trying to lure his soul to perform one last act of depravity, which they had so enjoyed. Since his arrest, Michael has been kept in custody, spending much of that time in the central mental hospital. And let's
3: take ourselves back to that wonderful day when... We both reached the car park at the base of Montpellier Hill and you turned to me and said, it's only up the road and around the corner, 15 minutes. Yep. hmm Yep. Yeah. And I went, yeah, of course, it's a gorgeous day. Let's go for a walk. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it? It was a beautiful day. And didn't you enjoy the scenery on the way up? I did. Did it take 15 minutes to walk?
4: Maybe not in yeah. this
2: Reality. Maybe
3: not,
4: no, no, not at all. <laughs> well, I'd forgotten. It had been a couple of years since I'd been there and um, oh, I, I had gone with uh, Dave Schrader and all our lovely American friends <sighs> and that was our crazy trip around Ireland and he took us up to the Montpelier Hill and I nearly died. I do remember that from last time. I nearly died walking up that hill, but this time I was, I was a few kilos lighter. I'd lost quite a bit of weight, so I thought, oh, no, this is easy. It, it won't be that bad. I'd forgotten how far (laughs) up the hill it was. I think she was going to die on me at one stage. Oh, Oh, look, if it wasn't for the beautiful scenery
3: and me stopping every five seconds to take a photo of the the changing leaves. Oh, because we were there in autumn. We were there in autumn and it was just glorious. And we will post some photos for you on the True Hauntings Facebook page because it was just absolutely beautiful. And we actually have a little video of
4: us being inside the Hellfire Club. Yes, and we've got a little video of us. I don't know if you remember. We found a little path. We scrambled up this embankment and found ourselves in a pine forest. Mm. And there was this path that led off into the gloom with the filtered sunlight coming through it. And there was a little ring of mushrooms over to the side. We Mm -hmm. thought, oh, it's a fairy ring. Yes. Should we step inside and possibly disappear? It was a thought. I did it. I stepped in because I thought, I want to stay here in Ireland forever. It was so awesome. I, I'm still here, though. The fairies didn't want me.
3: Yes, and, and the gorgeous silence was broken by the cacophony of noise by a child screaming all the way up the hill. <laughs> and you go, Are you sure that oh, wasn't you, Renata? <laughs> no, it wasn't. But it was just this, yeah, amazing, amazing moment in this forest. And then, of course, we went up to the Hellfire Club itself and and um, took part in that adventure. And I, look, I have to say, Anne, that I didn't know much about the place before I had gotten
4: there and, look, the architecture isn't astounding. Well, you know, it, it was made out of lumps of rock thrown together into a lodge. Yeah, it's just a horrid a horrid piece of thing well, I'm, I'm sure it was pretty. You know that it actually used to be painted white? Was it really? It was really? whitewashed and it was a beautiful white building on top of the hill. But as time progresses, of course, all the white went away and then it became the brooding black stoned building on the top of the hill. Yeah, it just looks like it's been thrown there. Just lumped. It's several hundred years old. I'm just saying. No, just some... <laughs> She oh, wants no. a little bit more decor. <laughs> maybe a bunch of flowers somewhere. <laughs> an angled roof, something, you know. Oh, maybe a little, a little
3: gorgeous little doorway entrance or whatever. Just oh, saying. So, oh. indulgen- but anyway, let, let's... <laughs> But let's let's get to the yeah. truth of all of this. Because yeah, that's a fascinating history. Yeah. So of course, for thousands of years the hill has been the site of an ancient kern or can c- cairn, cairn, if you're Australian. As Spelled would say C-A-I-R-N. It. C-A-I-R-N. Yeah, with a passage grave. But that all changed in seventeen twenty five when the Irish Speaker of Commons William Connolly was looking for a spot for his new hunting lodge. Ooh, yes. Mm -hmm. Apparently
4: there was good deer in that area.
3: So apparently you were saying that the kern that
4: was up there in the passage grave may actually be older than Newgrange. Yes, I was listening to an Irish history podcast and they were saying that they've dated and they've they've done three lots of dating on it and apparently that's still not enough to confirm but each one of those datings have come back that the kern is 3,500... B.C. Wow. So that's five and a half thousand years old. My goodness. They weren't sure whether it was a true Kern with the uh, passageways, but with the archaeological dig that they did, they did find that it definitely was. So it would have been 30 metres radius and around four metres high, not as big as Newgrange, but older than Newgrange. Wow. Wow. That's astounding. And what they would do is that they would take the ashes of the people that died and put it through into the, the kern. So you'd have the ashes of all the people there.
3: Mm. Yeah, just think about that for a moment, Yeah, and everyone, what they did. And then
4: what the rich folk decided yeah. to do
3: because... William Connolly wanted a hunting lodge. So he purchased the hill and the surrounding Rathfarnham estate from Philip, the Duke of Wharton, the founder of the original Hellfire Club in the United Kingdom. Mm, interesting. Mm. So the Duke himself was a notorious drunk and he started the club as a means to mock the church and supposedly appointed the devil as the president. Yeah, but he this kind of tends to be more considered as a joke. And we we think of the Hellfire Club as being just a club for, for Satanists. And I guess some of the stories would lead you to think that that is the, the truth. But this was a time of enlightenment. And enlightenment meant for many, especially those that were rich, that they could Actually, engage in things that they had only previously dreamed of doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was a different type of
4: enlightenment. It for was. Them. It was an exploration. It certainly was. I think the word orgy may have been used. Mm-hmm. So to build the lodge, Connolly
3: used stones from the Kern. And when the roof of the lodge blew off soon after completion, it was deemed that that. This was the work of the devil in retribution for disturbing the burial site, which is quite interesting because the devil would not have had anything to do with that burial site because it was a pagan burial site, mm-hmm. and they don't believe in the devil.
4: Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't imagine that the devil would be upset about That's the right. desecration of a, a he, sacred site anyway. Yeah,
3: he would have been laughing, especially
4: if they're going to be doing <laughs> those things within the lodge, which I'm sure which you're going to talk did, about. Yes. <laughs> That would, wouldn't have that almost been a temple to the devil
3: <laughs> it ended up being i think so just how the lodge came to be used as a base for the club is still being debated but it is thought it is just debated <laughs> do we put do we need an r rating on this one <laughs> with me talking yes oh, it's thought that this place was only one of several meeting places for the members and another one which was used very often, also in Dublin, it was called the Eagle Tavern. But what we do know is that drinking to excess was mandatory, and there are several accounts well, I think that still goes on today. <laughs> there are several accounts that say that its members enjoyed scaldine, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's a blend of hot whiskey and butter.
4: Mm-hmm. Blah. That comes up in one of my stories.
3: That's uh, interesting when you think of the whole Harry Potter, Harry Potter <laughs> and the beer and butter butter, yeah, beer. butter beer What's with the butter in?
4: I don't know. Butter's good
3: in alcoholic
4: drinks. It must be something that really butter. warmed them up. Yeah, yeah, and also the fat content makes you feel full. Uh huh. Right. Thank you for I'm, that piece of keto oh, advice. I know. <laughs> I'm doing keto. So that's, and guys, just look at that food guide. It is all wrong. <laughs> so scalphine, a blend of
3: hot whiskey and butter. So their sessions often ended in violence and sexual assault and on one occasion murder at the hands of Henry Barry. So open mockery of the church was expected, but the jury is out when it comes to this idea that there were pacts with the devil and human sacrifice. So you're going to hear me kind of go from one extreme to another, because there are loads of stories about things that allegedly happened. And look, I wouldn't put it past the supremely wealthy and rich and those in the head of politics uh, in the area for doing some of the things that are said to have happened. Well, quite often they were above the law. Mm-hmm. They could do what they liked. And it seems that they did. Mm. So members were also said to have left one chair
4: empty at their table when they were there for the Dark Lord. Oh see that's now they're ripping off the pagans there because many of the festivals, they, you leave a place at the table mm-hmm. for your ancestors. Yes, yeah. But they
3: say that there is scant evidence of satanic rituals taking place. Mm, yeah, there's lots of stories that say that they did. Mm-hmm. So there was a letter uh, which is believed to have been from the club, from a club member that references also the sacrifice of maidens. Mm. But this has been argued to be more alluding to the fact that the maidens, sacrificed their maidenship rather than sacrificing the maidens themselves. Yes. There are also accounts about club rituals taking place with poor black cats being the ones that
4: were suffering here. Yes, I've got a story on that one.
3: Yeah, and it's awful, 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 awful to even think.
4: I welled up with a few tears when I read Mm, that one. So
3: I'll leave that one to you. Thank you. So the lodge was damaged by a fire at some point, which again became the stuff of a myth. Of course. Mm -hmm. The devil did it. And a footman spilled a drink on the Catholic-hating Burn Chapel Whaley. (laughs) Isn't that a great (laughs) nickname for him, Burn (laughs) Chapel? And allegedly... This prompted Burnchapel Whaley to set fire to the poor man, but I think you've got a story about that I do, too. I mm-hmm. do, I The fire then reportedly engulfed the club and killed several members and then that more or less put an end to the club as it was at that point. Yeah. But then there was a second coming oh! <laughs> of the Hellfire Club and that came courtesy of Whaley's son, which they called Buck.
4: And Buck is so a It doesn't term, sound like a terribly Irish name, does no, it? No,
3: but Buck refers to the devil and oh. the young Buck. Right, The young okay. Bucks that were coming okay. in. Okay, and that's right?
4: all to do with the, the reindeer or whatever you call them. What do you call them? <laughs> Deer? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh,
3: dear. But he, he revived the club and called it the Holy Fathers. Oh, Lord, people are going to really just be careful. Look. We're just let's, reading you the history, don't pick yeah, on us. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just be out right here and say all the stuff that they did there was really as opposing the Catholic Church, which was still putting a lot of pressure on everyone to behave. So even though it was a period of enlightenment, certainly women had absolutely no ability to have any power or control in this particular life or time, and
4: men just use as much control as they had depending on the wolf that they had. They say enlightenment, but it was a period of oppression Mm. where they were just forcing people to do things the way they wanted, which has a lot to do with the stories of the Hellfire Club too, I do believe, but I'll get into that. Mm -hmm. So
3: as Buck Got older, He finally felt the need to repent from his sins. Gosh, he must have been so close to you know, going to prison, I think. That was the only way mm-hmm. that he would have repented from his sins. So according to his memoirs while praying, he could feel the devil creeping along the aisle towards him. The encounter terrified him so badly that he quit Ireland for the Isle of Man, <laughs> ending the chapter of the Irish Hellfire Club.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, the English and the Irish Hellfire clubs did not appear to be particularly rigid formal structures. They no,
4: just turn up and just, bonk. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> Drink and bonk. <laughs> <laughs> they would perhaps be more accurately described as a share special interest group. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a category for that in Facebook to start up your group? <laughs> And they were designed purely for self-indulgent pleasures, of course, with a view of amusing themselves and shocking society. So again, that's that's a kind of another thing that some of the aristocracy really tried to do. And you kind of got to think about whether they may have also been at times suffering from a little bit of a mental illness. Mm
4: -hmm. Because there's a lot of inbreeding within the the upper class. Yeah,
3: and. that was their thought of keeping
4: the bloodline clear. Uh, we know differently nowadays. But uh, also sort of we're talking about my story, Michael, yeah. at the start there, and that is actually based on a true story. That actually happened to a group of teenagers up there. So was it the devil that was influencing them mm. or was it mental illness? Mm.
3: So there were some ceremonial roles and it is noted. And apparently there is a painting in Dublin in the university there that hangs with a photo of, not a photo, a painting. A photo. A photo photo. (laughs) of (laughs) 1700s. That would have been good. A painting of these aristocratic chaps all standing around in their wigs, and you sort of see the type of level of people that were members of this particular club. It's the only painting that exists. Was oh, that, that the has, Trinity College? Yeah, I think so. Yes. That has the that picture of, them, of, of the members in their wigs. Are they wearing anything else or yeah, just they their are, wigs? Yeah, oh, are. Okay. They are. So James Warsdale served as the master of revels of the Dublin Hellfire Club. Mm. So they they all had titles. It was their job to go. I wonder if there was one that was called the master of.
4: Clean up the maidens, vomit.
3: <laughs> the maidens, the master of the maidens. And the, he had to go searching for, for pure maidens. He's got to go find virgins, the, uh, which might be difficult these days. So the Irish Hellfire Club quickly gained notoriety for their open mockery of I'm the I'm going to be in trouble for
4: that comment. Yeah. And <laughs> took, uh, see me breeze straight past yeah, that? Yeah, no, she tried to um, ignore it. I'm just the naughty one.
3: That took the Enlightenment's questioning of organised religion to a new level Right, so the club was one of many in both England and Ireland where rich young rakes, rich young gentlemen indulge in ceremonial drinking and dining and gambling and carousing. But a few clubs cross the line into sex, blasphemy and sheer bloody badness, or so the rumour goes. oh
4: I'm sure it's a rumour. Mm-hmm.
3: So the first Hellfire Club was set up by the Duke of Wharton and specialised in daring deeds such as playing cards on Sunday. <laughs>
4: oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, think I just had heart palpitations the <laughs> thought of playing cards on a Sunday. Movie oh, oh, me. Oh, my goodness. The
3: height of them. Reading Lucretius. I've never read Lucretius. I have no idea what all that is about. So no. we'll, we'll have to find a copy. <laughs> and eating pigeon pie, known as Holy Ghost. What?
4: Yeah. Oh, is that because the pictures depict like the dove? You know, in the the church.
3: Oh, I got, never thought of that. Yeah, they've
4: got like the the Trinity, the the cross, and they've got the dove that's flying up, and they've got pigeons. <laughs> That's just awful. Pigeon and po- this this was pigeons. actually
3: this was actually chronicled in the Hellfire Clubs. So I wonder whether they had books where they would write down what they did at each of these. Today I ate pigeon pie <laughs> <high> and, <laughs> and played, played
1: cards on, on, on a a Sunday.
3: Sunday. <laughs> Sex, Satanism, and Secret Societies mm. is a book that you can actually purchase. It is by Evelyn Lord, and it does tell you about some of the deeds that went on at some of these Hellfire Clubs. Now, that'd be an interesting read, wouldn't it, (laughs) on a Sunday afternoon? (laughs) With your pigeon pie. So the most notorious club was formed by Sir Francis Dashwood and its motto was, do as you will. Mm -hmm. So it must have been around the time of our
4: Mr Famous Crowley. Yeah, well, he adopted that. I did find a reference to where that, that first occurred Occurred and then Crowley adopted that, but it's do as ye will. Now, if you think of that as well in the pagan terms, in if I remember in Wicca, it's do as ye will as long as you harm none. Mm-hmm. So even they've got part of that in there, mm-hmm. but added the balance. Mm-hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm.
3: So Dashwoods Dashwoods Club met in a series of underground caves in West Wycombe, and the legend has it that they indulged in a lot of risque behaviour with the strict proviso. This needs a T-shirt. This this needs a T-shirt. What goes on underground stays underground. That could be taken in oh so many ways. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So his club was called the Monks or Friars of Saint Francis of Wycombe. God, my his goodness! Club, yes, yes, right, okay.
4: The club of monks,
3: right? Yeah, I remember we're we're dissing the the church yep. here at yep. every opportunity. The club of fake monks, mm-hmm. and it was anything but saintly, and it involved drinking, wenching, and banqueting. Okay,
4: I think my husband would like to do that. Mm-hmm. He wants to join that club. So later
3: there were suggestions of ritual abuse of women and black masses, but perhaps people with an axe to grind would be keen to spread such rumours, mm-hmm. of course. hmm mm-hmm. But, look, you'd be coming out of these places. Of course everyone would know where you have been because the gossip would have started not only amongst the rich who would have wanted to be part of a club like this. Mm-hmm. Whether it existed or not, they would have wanted can to be part of the club. imagine they'd all
4: turn up with masks on, so nobody knew who they were, but they did. But they'd wear the mask to engage in the debauchery. I've seen that in the movie somewhere. It I sounds know. good.
3: I know. With, <laughs> with, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Tom, Tom
4: Cruise. Um, Tom Cruise and... Um, not Interview of a Vampire uh, no, or something
3: like that. No, um, no, no. Brad Pitt? The, no, no. <laughs> we, we George Clooney? There. No. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Roman uh, Reckovich? So, no. <laughs> No, the, so the clubs appeared in waves. So first in London in the 1720s, so they go, hello. Then wave. in Dublin, bye bye. then Limerick in the 1740s, and then the Dashwood Club in the 1750s. So people associated them with what was going morally wrong in society. There were parties, revels, and prostitutes. There was sexual energy and drinking. Of course, there would be, mm-hmm. there, and there would be a lot of it because these gents could afford anything that they wanted. So there was certainly gossip and rumour, but there was no actual evidence to suggest that they viewed themselves as devil worshippers. So another of the club's members, James Warsdale, he was an artist, playwright and a womaniser. This is a really interesting story. Once on a visit to Mallow, he made a little too free his... Intimacies with his lady's daughter, causing the irate mother to beat him through the town with a hot shoulder of mutton.
4: Oh, <laughs> oh my god! So they would I'm just visualizing know, that in my head. Would, so he flirted a little bit too aggressively and it, she's she's whacked him with a leg of lamb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Cersei in Game of Thrones (laughs) with a shame, shame, and this is more lamb, lamb. (laughs) God.
3: Yeah, so there were a lot of things that were very frivolous and pranky. Mm -hmm. And they really loved their pranks. Uh, There was one particular gentleman who would continually turn up and have people come to visit and see him, at which point he would drop all of his clothes and appear naked. Yes,
4: there was one particular he would invite the priests over (laughs) and then answer the door (laughs) stark. (laughs) <laughs> oh, dear. I'd laugh. Those were the days. <laughs> were. Damn it. Oh. Wasn't that all the good stuff? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Things would be more sinister. That's the thing. You know, once you give people this amount of control and ability to do whatever they want, it will turn feral, mm. and that's that's the bottom line. And so we have one gentleman, Lord Santry, who was a civil person when sober, but when intoxicated, as he often was, a darker side of him would be revealed. And one of the most shocking crimes was the murder of an ill and bedridden servant. And you're going to be talking about that shortly. So I'm not going to say any more about that. Very, very unfortunate. And this is really this sense of power and control that these people had. So it's, it's all... Literally shits and giggles while they're all getting really drunk and just. You Until know, someone giggles and shits. Yeah. And, and while they're taking it out. Amongst themselves, but when they start dragging in other people who are less fortunate than themselves, this mm-hmm. is when it gets really dark and awful. So there's also a tale of a young farmer who was very curious about what was happening up on the hill.
4: Another one of my stories. Yep,
3: and he was found by club members wandering about, and then I'll. So let I've got you... two
4: two different endings to that story. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I'll
3: I'll let you tell what happened mm-hmm. to him. And, of course, these stories that we talked about um, with regard to the
4: black cats with ears like horns and evil eyes. And apparently. I've actually got a picture which we'll put up for you guys of uh, somebody who saw it and they they got it painted. I don't know if they painted it themselves or whether they got it painted like a, a sketch artist. Oh, right. Mm, it looks like a black cat. Mm.
3: So the rumours were rife and, of course, anyone in Dublin who was drinking at any point in time, which they all would have been, would have been looking up at that hill and I'm sure all of the gentlemen in the township would have gone, I wish I was there. I don't care what they're doing. I wonder
4: what goes on. What are they doing now? I wonder if I can get a piece of that
3: action. Mm. So to keep it under control, I think there was a bit of a reputation for black magic and mystery and things going on that shouldn't have been happening. And maybe that was one of the things that church clergy in their Sunday services would talk about completely, about the the riotous and raucous behaviour of those up on the hill. And they would make
4: it sound as dreadful and sinful as possible to shame these people. And if anything, it probably just made more people want to go up there. Mm -hmm.
3: So there is an author by the name of David Ryan who wrote an article for the Irish Times in 2012, and he discussed his research into the club. And, yes, he does say that the Hellfire Club members were (sighs) unruly, but they weren't the frightening devil worshippers that society was making them out to be. And, again, is, is that a part of what the the church was doing at that time to fight back for what these people were doing to the church. They probably Most felt probably. like they were losing control. Mm-hmm. But um, Ryan says that they were really freethinkers who believed in neither heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. And he states that while there were violent and dangerous members in the club ranks, most of the members used their bad behaviour as a way to fight back against the church in Ireland and to promote a, more, a modern form of thinking. Now, the church in Ireland was very, very
4: strict. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, incredibly. Very strict. Because I remembered, like they'd say, "Oh, she's a devout Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic," and putting the Irish in there meant that yes. it was even more than normal. Yes, yes, and yeah, that started a huge war, didn't it? The mm-hmm. Catholics
3: and the Protestants, mm-hmm. mm. the Troubles. Remember, re- remember when we stopped at that beautiful little place somewhere, and we went into the the
4: shop, Holyrood. I think it was Holyrood Church. 'Cause it sounded like Hollywood, but it's Holly Rud No. Rod. No, it was the one with the biggest rosary we've ever seen in our lives. It was this Church of the Holy Cross or something like that, and they had a gift shop and they had. It was amazing. They had these rosary beads, and I'm kicking myself (laughs) for not getting them now. (laughs) Because we've never seen them anywhere again. Like I could put them around my neck and they would dangle down onto the floor and they were almost the size of ping pong balls. Yeah, I reckon they would have been able to go around the car
3: and and they glowed in the dark. They glowed in the dark. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Awesome. Awesome. Why didn't I buy them? Absolutely awesome. How could I not buy such an amazing thing? (laughs) (laughs) And we got the giggles in the shop. It was really embarrassing.
3: I know. I did get some air fresheners with the saints on them, though.
4: I've still got those. I haven't cracked them open. And don't forget there was also the USB stick with the Bible on it that you could buy. (laughs) So wherever you travelled, you can pop that in your computer and you can read your Bible. Awesome. Awesome.
3: (laughs) Let's get back to this because I'm nearly nearly finished. The Hellfire Club members adopted their outrageous moniker in order to stir up controversy and to annoy the more devout and straight-laced members of society. And despite the fact that they committed atrocious crimes, in some ways they were ahead of their time. I'm going to leave the history there. And look, from from my perspective, I am oh, we can't draw
4: any conclusions. No, no, yet. no,
3: no. I'm I'm just awfully, awfully grateful that you took me there. Wasn't it just magnificent? And that we spent time there and that we spent time in Ireland and that we literally scratched the surface of all of this because it's an astounding place.
2: It is. All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.
4: All right, so let's get into the ghostly stories of what has happened at the Hellfire Club. So as Renata was saying, the the history of the place started with the the, the kern mm-hmm. and there was this, in this podcast I was listening to they were talking about they found the center stone of this kern, which people had been using to start their bonfire so they'd leave all the wood up against it and then create the bonfire and they just happened to be there when the light hit it a certain way and they realized there is all these Neolithic carvings and drawings oh all over it and it had been so damaged. Oh, no. Because of all these fires because nobody realised. Wow. And I remember being in the the can at Loft Crew and the symbols in there are just mind-blowing. I'll try to put up a picture. I actually had a canvas made of some of them. They were that beautiful. Mm -hmm. And to think that that has been destroyed. But we have the stone tape theory, which is where an event is almost like recorded, a bit like videotape. Mm -hmm. And with the right conditions, it can be triggered Mm -hmm. and things can be replayed. So I'm thinking of this stone kern, which which was the burial mound and a sacred place and the ashes of the loved ones coming in there, being then, so we've got grief and that sort of thing imbued into those rocks. Then those rocks are taken and made into a club of debauchery. Mm-hmm. So then that's another layer of essence being layered in on top of that. And it, I just wonder what would take to trigger those things to replay and what would you be seeing And look, I have to agree with you, Renato. I think a lot of the stories with this particular club have been from the church not liking it because they had a very condescending view of the the practices of those sorts of things, and they'd spread the rumours of the unnatural behaviour within the club and all the dark magic and satanic rituals. But I also think it may have encouraged the curious to work out what on earth was going on up there.
3: And you can imagine with, you know, a certain amount of alcohol in your belly, you are willing to try anything. I mean, there are certain... Little rituals that people who go up there even do today. I was watching a particular video online from Amy's Crypt, Mm -hmm. which is also a lovely, gorgeous Amy from Australia, and she sent her husband around the Hellfire Club three times Backwards, mm-hmm. which was supposed to allow him to then see the
4: devil, right? And I heard of a story on the same historical podcast that I was listening to that you had to go around it thirteen times, I thought, there and you there was another one that said eleven times. <laughs> so there's all these different ones with all different, you know, mm-hmm. versions of how you can see the devil. Now, did Amy see the devil? Uh, her husband didn't. No, he. <laughs> He said it was really, really
3: difficult to see where he was going because obviously it was night. And, yeah, by the first time he can't, first time he went around he said, oh, I'm really sick of this. Why are you making me do this? We're <laughs> you do here. it, Amy, I'll hold the camera. We, no, we're here, we're doing it. So she did send him <laughs> around on. for the three times, but in the end he said no. All, all he got was a dizzy spell. Oh, the poor bugger
4: can't do that to you. You'd be no. fallen over no. and spewing. Anyway, look, let me tell you about this one story which has a very reminiscent note to Mm -hmm. Loftus Hall.
2: Mm, So one of the
4: best-known tales is not about the club's seedy members but of an unknown visitor. During one stormy night sometime in the 1700s, a mysterious man appeared in front of the Hellfire Club seeking refuge from the nasty weather outside. Having knocked on the door, which I'm sure was three times, this man was invited inside to play cards with the hosts. There was nothing unusual about this scenario until a playing card fell to the ground. Oh, no. I'm having deja vu. Yeah. Upon picking it up, one of the members noticed a pair of cloven hooves on the opposite side of the table where this stranger was now sitting. Realising that they were now playing cards with the devil himself, he stayed quiet until after the stranger left the table and disappeared into the darkness. Sometime later following this incident, the club burnt down. Oh, wow. That's, That's almost word
3: for word. From Loftus <laughs> Hall. Loftus Hall. My God! So uh, the the devil must have been a very very busy gent mm-hmm. at that point in time, um, but he must have loved playing poker. He turned up everywhere that poker was, unless poker was also thought to be something quite demonic,
4: gambling. Oh yes. Yes, I'm sure it is. Or maybe it was strip poker or something. I don't know. No, it must have happened on a Sunday. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. They did it on <laughs> a they Sunday. Did it on a Sunday. All right. Now, let me tell a bit more about Lord Santry that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to take you to this beautiful park when Roman and I, Roman, my husband, can't even say his name, went to Ireland. The first time we stayed in this airport hotel and across the road was Santry Park. Mm-hmm. And it was my first introduction to Ireland and it was beautiful. There was this sort of river that... Or um, stream that went around it that was filled with lilies and there was fowl on there, there was bridges over it and it was so green, it was the introduction to the green of Ireland so I have fond memories of Santry Park but Lord Santry the great grandson of the 17th century Trinity graduate James Barry was known for his violent outbursts and wild drinking but he seemed to have developed this really dark personality and, and started to do these atrocities. The most disturbing of these was the murder of a servant. Mm -hmm. Now this servant, now you told the story that he had a a glass of alcohol spilt on him and his revenge was to set fire to him but according to the story I have is that he was a bedridden servant and was forcibly made to consume a full bottle of brandy and then they set light to his bed. Oh no. So he was ill, Mm -hmm. forced to drink Mm -hmm. then would have been blacked out because of the amount of alcohol in him and then they set fire to him. How awful. That's that's sick. There was also another two gruesome murders that happened and as you said that's when the club ceased. But it actually moved to a place down the hill. I don't know if you remember that, that building that was down the bottom. Now there is the story associated with that of a black cat. There's a story that says that a priest who exercised this cat's soul during a ritualistic sacrifice and now it restlessly inhabits the area. But the story behind it is that the Hellfire Club members got a cat. Mm-hmm. Doused it in that scathly. Yeah, yeah they've the been drinking that, the whiskey and the, and the butter. butter. And they covered the cat in it and set it on fire, then threw it out to the front door where the public and everyone were. And this poor creature is screaming and ablaze running amongst them off into the forest, which then, of course, all the public are going, it's. It's the devil. Yeah. It's the hellfire club. Yeah. They've summoned a demon and this is a demon. Mm-hmm. And it just, that sickened me to think that that had happened to this poor animal. Mm. They
3: were sick mother chuckers. They were. And there's a worse story. So did you, did you read the, the about the four-day rituals? No, I didn't say okay. the four-day well, ones. Okay, let's, well, let's extend this horror just for a moment more Apparently they had these four-day rituals and it involved black cats and they would bring all of these cats up to the Hellfire Club and they would, and I know this is really awful, but this is a type of story that was being told. And again, you've got to think about whether it was a myth that the Hellfire Club had started or whether it was started by the the church Mm -hmm. to really make these people sound as though they were the
4: demons. Yeah, that and they of course witches had black cats yes. and black cats are always as associated, associated. With, mm-hmm. with the
3: dark. So apparently these four-day four rituals, you had to be there for the whole time and the idea that after performing all of this, you were given second sight by the devil. The devil came down and if, if he believed that you had done the ritual properly, then you were given sef, se, uh, second sight. So the idea was that cats were collected and then they were put onto a spit. And roasted oh alive. Oh
4: God! I am so sorry for anyone. This is yeah, triggering. I'm sorry, um, yep. it's horrible. And at the
3: end, the devil would appear as a huge, enormous black cat with red, fiery eyes, and he would bestow his gifts on the members of the Hellfire Club that had seen this four-day orgy and horrendous thing
4: go through. Oh, So it's another tale. Mm -hmm. Oh, it just makes me sick because I own black cats Mm -hmm. and I love my black cats and the thought of that happening to them just... It's, yeah. It's traumatising. But this black cat has appeared again. In in the 1960s, workers were renovating a nearby derelict house and they started to experience unusual events, including the appearance of the demonic black cat. So an artist, Tom McCassie, who was overseeing the steward's house renovation into an art house, said that a locked door swung open, revealing a hideous black cat with blazing red eyes. So I've got that picture. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a copy of that picture. So another story in relation to this black cat is one of a, a young man who was a visitor to a local farmhouse. He goes up there to investigate the activities of the club. The next morning he's found dead and his host and the local priest believing that he was murdered go to the club to investigate, they see a banquet laid out and a black cat prowling the room, which mm-hmm. could match up to the four-day things mm-hmm. where the black cat appears. Mm-hmm. But this is no normal cat. It's huge. And the priest notices that its ears are shaped like horns, mm-hmm. happening to have a small bottle of holy water in his pocket. The priest decides to attempt an exorcism, and the result tears the beast apart. Of course, the, the church wins out in the end. Outside, the host is found lying on the ground, his face and neck deeply scratched by strong claws. Now, if I also remember correctly, in the Ghost Adventures episode, Aaron has some sort of thing that happens with his ear that he feels like there was a scratch or that his ear was tried to rip off. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was the black cat. But there is actually an alternate story of the black cat and the young farmer. So the the black cat's actually left out of it, and it's just the young farmer, curious to find out about the meetings, climbs the hill and is allowed to witness the night's activities, but was found the next morning trembling and terrified, and the story goes that he spent the rest of his life unable to speak. and un- able to even remember his name.
3: Mm. So that kind of has a little bit of a connection to the, the story that you read in the soundscape where one of the young gentlemen gets taken over mm. and it's like it's not him that is
4: doing all of this horrible damage to other people. It
2: is yeah. something that
4: is working through him. Yes. That story that I read out was actually from a newspaper article. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's very I've, true. And yeah. I created it into a story and I may have had a few liberties in there. To add a little bit of extra spice to it. So it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was also another story about a local farmer's daughter that was kidnapped and they kidnapped her, supposedly murdered her, and then ate her. Oh, yum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably one of the, the stories that have grown out of the, the legends. And I think she was probably stolen and raped, which is horrible. Yeah, you know, it just all keeps being regurgitated yeah. and the more you tell it the more it grows and there's also the story of sacrifices that they had up there and in 1971 when they were working on the steward's house which became the the hellfire club after the one on the hill burnt down they did find a small skeleton now the, the some of the stories go that they had sacrificed a little person they refer to them here as a dwarf and the the skeleton that was dug up actually showed that the skull was abnormally large in comparison to the body mhm but in times gone past you know the the Villagers and farmers may have had some sort of superstition or health wasn't the same as what it was. And who knows? Who knows what the story is of this poor skeleton? But it's it's great to be able to associate it with the Hellfire Club up the road. Other reported sightings are of an Indian. As in... American they, Indian? doesn't or say. Or an In, Indian Indian yeah, I, from India. I don't know, but that's just random. Okay. Um, could, it's probably an Indian from India. Yeah. I can't imagine being Native American Indian, no. although many people have them as guides, even though they've never been to America. Mm-hmm. And there's also two nuns known as Blessed Margaret and the Holy Mary. And they think that these are actually women who would have been dressed up as nuns for some of these black masses ah, where yes. they defiled... The idea of a nun. The Hellfire Club uh, Ghost Adventures, they came up with disembodied voices. For the entirety of the investigation, Zach and Aaron felt a constant flow of intense negative energy, so it's a personal experience. And as soon as Zach attempted to enter the sacrificial room, Aaron felt the need to stop him from going in there. They had the sounds of pebbles and glass shards moving. Now, there's no glass up there unless it's broken bottles. Mm -hmm. All the windows are long gone. The full spectrum camera caught a ball of light coming out of the ground and Aaron felt a claw grabbed and pulled his ear back towards the room where he was just in, where pebbles and glass shards were moved. Aaron then became emotional and he explained that he felt like the devil himself touched his ear amazing. So we've we've got a lot of personal experiences that are happening and is it because people are primed yet again the story of the Hellfire Club, they used to have ghost tours up there and so nobody's making money from anything up there. They stopped the ghost tours supposedly because something sinister was up there. I think it's just because they can't get access to it easily and people have to walk for 45 minutes up a hill. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my guess why they've stopped. And if they're not allowed to take cars or minibuses up there, it, it would be difficult. Yeah, it's a bit of an insurance problem. Yeah. So what's your thoughts? True haunting or not? I don't know. It's, oh God, you say that every <laughs> week. <laughs> look, I've been there twice, and I have to say, I felt nothing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel anything. I, I mean, was in I was... awe of the the location yeah, and the building. It, it and was beautiful. <laughs> the the big open windows that look out over everywhere, and I did have some knowledge of the history on this one, mm-hmm. but certainly there's enough horror and disturbing of the dead to. Imprint something Mm. there. Absolutely. And if you go there
3: now, you are treading on a building that is a shell. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's hard to walk through. There was lots of puddles of water everywhere. Yep. We had to jump around and, and get past we things. We It's got a lot of moss growing inside, yeah. so it's very damp inside. And even during the middle of the day, which is when we went, or the evening, early evening, when it was still quite light, it does have this aura and energy about it that that is absolute. It's a a very
4: imposing looking building.
3: I think a lot of it would be very much due to your own perceptions and just being there and the imagination of everything that's gone past. Maybe one day we might get to go there at night and we will
4: formulate a different idea. I would love to do that. I would really love to do that. But in that case, I would probably be more scared of the living than I would the dead. Mm. We'd have to have protection. (laughs) We need a bodyguard. Who wants to volunteer? (laughs) Would you sleep over? Would you sleep there? Yeah, hell yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I need a bed and I need a flushing toilet, (laughs) please.
3: It's 45
4: minutes down the hill. Oh, that was a long way to go to pee. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. We do absolutely suggest that if you are in Dublin or around that area on your travels, when we get back to do traveling, go and visit the Hellfire Club in Dublin. It is enormously wonderful and a place that stirs the imagination.
4: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. I hope you come and join us next week for our next episode, which is, what did we decide we're going to do? We, we changed our mind. We were doing one thing and we've changed it. It might be a surprise. Let's leave it as a surprise. But in the meantime, if you have enjoyed this, please make sure you subscribe. We have now had 10,000 downloads of Yay! our episodes, which we are so proud of to help the google algorithms find us easier we need you guys to leave us a review please share it with your friends we love bringing you all into our little family so head over to the Anna and renata frightfully good page and guys see you next time on the dark side bye for now
1: thank you for listening to this episode of true hauntings if you like the show give us a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network.